Wait a minute, we've already been here. Well, I'm just winding up to get where we need to be in the other part of the chapter. And so, uh, we are, I read these first few verses here, first eight verses in uh, chapter three here. There are some <laughs> things in life that we know. There are some things that we're sure of, right? We, we know this, we know there's a God. I tell you what, if you really press an atheist long enough, they'll, they'll, they'll eventually admit, okay, fine, fine, there's some higher power, right? I told you a friend of mine said, well, I just don't believe he is who you say he is, right? But listen, there's, there's some things that we know. We know there's a God. We know he's creator. I know that. I know the God of the Bible is the God who is creator. He revealed himself to his creation. Uh, he has revealed himself to us really from the very beginning through conscience and through creation. The Bible says over in Psalms that the, the heaven showeth forth the, um, the, the, the handiwork, right? And the firmament showeth. The heavens declare the, the glory of God and the firmament showed forth his handiwork. I can't remember how it goes. But he's revealed to us by, his, by creation. He has revealed himself to us by conscience. We know there is a God. He's revealed himself through the written word of God that we have today. He has revealed himself through the living word, the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some things in life that we know that we are sure of. But there's also some things in life that we don't know. We don't know some things, right? We don't really know who built the pyramids at Giza, do we? I mean, they surmised, right? Uh, aliens probably did it, right? Kind of floated down, and, and it's so weird. And I saw this thing that thought it was so fascinating that all of the pyramids of the world had some of this, this same type of uh, ancient architecture and, and uh, way they put stones together, and they were trying to surmise that, of course, it was aliens. And I thought... Well, it's kind of like called the Tower of Babel, isn't it? I mean, didn't they all have the same, you know, engineer back there and probably brought it with them when they left? But listen, there's some things, what I'm getting at today is there's some things that we do not know, right? I think it is amazing that none of these people that study the pyramids believe that they just appeared out of thin air. No, the same ones that believe the entire universe appeared out of thin air don't believe that these pyramids uh, uh, appeared out of thin air. They're trying to find a creator. Isn't that funny? It's like, well, why couldn't they have just existed like you believe the universe just existed? But no, they're looking for a creator. And we don't really know who it is. We don't really know why. We have some assumptions, but we really don't know. But there are some things that we do know. But like peeling back an onion, you never get to the end of the discovery. It gets richer and richer and richer. I think of the universe and you think of the, the, the spans of what we know of the universe and only what we ha can know and perceive right now is absolutely mind-boggling. To think that the Milky Way galaxy is like 100,000 light years across. We're talking 186,000 miles per second for 100,000 years. That is the, 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 what they say is the width of the Milky Way galaxy. And it's one galaxy of billions within the universe. And all of it, the Bible says, God meted out with a span. There's some things that we, we know, but as you peel them back, it just you're just left dumbfounded about what actually and how big this thing is and how mind-boggling it really is. We, 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 what we don't know, right, of the universe, what we don't know is actually like infinitely greater than what we do know. 
We're looking around us right now. You're looking at walls. You're looking at people. You're looking at floors. You look outside at trees. Everything is made up of matter, and we see all of the matter in the universe. It's all of the same stuff. The entire universe is made of the same matter. That's pretty interesting to me, I think. But listen, there's things that they call dark matter, and there is more dark matter than there is visible matter, and what they come to find out, that they absolutely have no clue what this dark matter is, yet they know there's something there. It's mind-boggling. Just the universe. And it's a speck. It's a speck. You, You pull out far enough and you'll never even see it. You pull out of our galaxy far enough and you won't even see Earth anymore. It just goes away. We're just a speck. Scientists have spent a lifetime studying this matter. They've spent a lifetime trying to figure out what it is. Right? They have no idea what this dark matter is. Watch, but they continue to search. And they get deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and search and search and search. Dark matter, it's something that can't be comprehended. It's something we can't understand. It doesn't matter how much we discover, right? Dark matter reminds us that there will always be that which cannot be searched out and found to, the, to, to, to completion. It will always remain, let me use this word, incomprehensible. It will always remain, here's a word, unsearchable. Unsearchable. And it is in this way that the Apostle Paul, through the, if, through, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, presents the Lord Jesus Christ. He presents him as unsearchable. He presents him as incomprehensible. No matter how much we discover from what God has revealed, Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong unto God, but the things that he has revealed unto us, belong, revealed belong unto us and unto our children. But when we look at the things that we know of God, no matter how much we discover of what God has revealed of himself, we will never come to the place of comprehending all of God. It's unsearchable. It's incomprehensible. I've thought before, I thought how wonderful it is, what a thought it is, that God who is eternal uh, has no beginning and no ending. And we have, I've came to the realization that we will most likely spend the rest of our eternal existence learning of God. We will never come to the end of knowing God and learning something new of God. We will never, for He is, in, for he is infinite, He is eternal, unsearchable unsearchable will never come to the end but I've wondered has God given us some insight to the riches of Christ that at least whet the appetite for him I say yes I say a thousand times, yes, he has. And as I look through the, through, the, through the book, the letter written to the church at Ephesus here, and I see some of the things that we've already looked at here, and I think of these things in relation to the, to the unsearchable riches of the Lord Jesus Christ that we see here in verse 8. And I can't help but remember and to think about the marvel of redemption that we have here in these first verses of, uh, uh, throughout the first verses or first chapters of Ephesians. I 
look at Ephesians chapter 2, 1 and 2. The Bible says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. I look at the marvel of redemption, how the Bible says that we were quickened, we were made alive, right? We know what happened. Adam sinned, and when sin came, the God... Uh, God said that the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die, which he did. He died spiritually immediately, and the death process physically began that day as well. And he eventually died physically, but he died spiritually uh, also, which means that communion that he had with God, for the Bible says what God is, spirit, right? They that worship him must worship it in spirit and truth. And that alive spirit that had communion with God died that day that, that, that Adam sinned. And so ever since Adam, we've all been born with a dead spirit, right? We are dead, we we're born dead in our trespasses and sins. But the day came when the Holy Spirit of God began to draw you because you heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You heard the good news of the gospel that though you were born in sin, right, and separate from God, and that, 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 that void that was in your life that you'd been trying to fill, you heard the good news of this, that it was filled, it can be filled by the God who created you. It could be filled by Jesus Christ. And that day that you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, immediately that spirit was made alive. Amen. And you know it. I've said it over and again. I'm telling you when something as big as God moves in, you're going to know it, friend. And your spirit was made alive. It was regenerated. And now we have union and communion with God like Adam would have had at the beginning. We see the what of the marvel of redemption. What is the marvel of redemption? That something dead could be made alive again and alive in Christ. Look at this. Who, who has to do with the marvel of redemption? Look at chapter three, uh, 1 and, and look at verse 4. I'm sorry, uh, Chapter 2 and verse 4, but God, right, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. This was the plan of God. We saw this in, in Sunday school this morning, the, the Passover, the, the redemption, the, the bringing out of Egypt. It was all the plan of God. He had a plan ahead of time. And uh, we see here in redemption that it was God's plan, the marvel of redemption. It was the plan of God from the beginning of the world, from the foundations of the world, the Lord Lord Jesus was crucified. And we see here in verses 5 and 6, what is the extent of this redemption? Look at verse 5. Even when we were dead and in our sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. For by grace are you saved. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We were quickened together with Christ. That word quickened means, right, made alive. The Spirit the same Holy Spirit that raised that body of the Lord Jesus Christ again to life is the same Spirit that raised our dead spirit to life. It says here, we are raised up together to sit together in heavenly places. Look at these three times that word together is used. We are quickened together. We are raised together and we sit together in Christ Jesus. I like that. It is the marvel of redemption. Amen. Are, you, are, are we awake this morning? Yeah. Amen. What a marvel it is, isn't it? That we should be redeemed. 
that we should be bought back, that we should be made one with Christ. It's really, it's why we look at this, one of the impossibilities it is to lose your salvation. As Christ was made alive physically, we were made alive spiritually, right? Jesus said, he said, destroy this temple in three days. I will raise it up again, right? You see the deity, the claim of deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Watch this. If there is a sin that we could commit to kill our spirit again, and that's what would happen if you could send your salvation away, your spirit would have to die again. And if there is a sin that we could commit to kill our spirit again, Jesus would have to die again also because it is his life that we have. It says it over in Hebrews, for you would crucify Christ afresh, right? Can I tell you what would happen if you could lose your salvation? The life of Christ wouldn't be eternal anymore. It wouldn't be a victorious life. The watch, the work on Calvary would be only as powerful as our ability to keep it pretty weak i'd say absolutely everything we have watch this is with christ jesus why look at verse chapter uh, ephesians uh, 2 look at verse 4 look at verse 4 why did he do this but god why who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us so thankful for the mercy of god I'm thankful for the Word of God. I can't go over it. I say it every time I think of mercy. Every time I think of mercy of God, I think that His mercies are new every morning. We never get leftover mercies. We never get, get to God and the mercies run out. We never get there and goes, Oh, this is all I got left for today. Sorry. No, it's like a fresh load every morning. The mercy of God. Praise the Lord for that. I'm so thankful for that. Why did He do this? Why? Rich mercy, great love wherewith He loved us. Listen to me, please. Because he wanted to. Don't let that pass over. He wanted to. I want to, I want to. I want to take your mind to think of something a little deeper. God, Listen, can God be added to? Can God be taken away from? God, God is completely full, isn't he? There is nothing to be added to him. There is nothing you can take away from him at all. Do you realize we do good things in our life to enrich ourselves? We do things, we obey God because we, we, we like that fellowship with him. We have that desire for obedience. We know it, it helps us and brings us in to make us uh, more Christ-like and we understand that. But many people in this world, they do things that are good uh, because it enriches their lives. We do things in our life that grow our character. We do things that make us better or stronger or smarter right? We do this, watch, because we're finite and we're fallen and we're not perfect. We do things to, do, to make us better, right? God doesn't need to do anything to make him better. So why does he do what he was, does? Purely because he desires to, out of his love and out of his mercy. He doesn't do what he does to add anything to himself, to make him better. Well, now I'm a better God because now I'm merciful. He didn't, have to, he didn't have to do any of that. It's because he wanted to. It's because he loves you. It's because he desired us. It's because he wanted that relationship back with us. Absolutely. This is the marvel of redemption. This is the marvel of salvation that God should love us, that God should want to redeem us, that God would want anything to do with us at all. How many, how many have days when you don't want anything to do with yourself? 
You're like, I just wish I didn't have to deal with me today because I'm not liking it. Sure thankful the Lord set his eyes upon us before we ever set our eyes upon him. I'm so glad that he loved us before we ever loved him. I'm so thankful for that. It's a marvel of salvation. Notice, secondly, the marvel of the church here in our text. The apostle Paul was writing to this church at Ephesus. This is mainly a Gentile church. Right? I mentioned this morning in in, in Sunday school, salvation has never changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. It's been the same. Old Testament saints didn't get saved any differently than New Testament saints. It's always been faith in the, in the, in, in the, in the Word of God. It's always been faith and trust in, 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 the, in the person of the work of God. It's always been the same thing. But the marvel of the church was that Jew and Gentile could be a part of the same vehicle. Now, if the Jew were to look at this vehicle, they would say, well, man, that's like a Lexus with Yugo parts on it. Or a Lacar. How many remember the Lacar? Man, that was a piece of work, right? Yeah. Now you're telling your age. Yeah, if you remember the Lacar. Yeah. Could you imagine parts off a Lacar on a Lexus, right? That wouldn't be real nice, would it? This is, the, this is what the Jews would have thought of it. Now get those Gentiles, get those Gentiles out of here, right? They they wouldn't like that. The Jews viewed themselves as one car, and the Gentiles as like another car. You know, the, the to the Jew, I mean, they were the Cadillac, they were the BMW, they were the Mercedes, they were the Lexus, they were the whatever you want to think is the highest thing you can buy out there. And to them, the the Gentile, my goodness, they were the bicycle, right? They were they were just they were the scooter, right? They were they were the Fred Flintstone car that you have to kick with your feet to get going it was there was two totally different things right but don't forget this though because where their view came from israel was the vehicle that god chose right he chose israel right it began with watch it began with one man abraham yeah abraham believed god it was counted unto him for righteousness abraham believed god i love that he was a friend of God. God made a covenant with Abraham, and he said, your seed is going to be as the sand of the sea, as the stars in the sky, so your seed is going to be. And God confirmed that, uh, that covenant with Abraham. He, he confirmed it again with Isaac. He confirmed it with Jacob again. And this family, this, this, this family of Abraham is going to inherit actual land, that land of Canaan. The fam- this family was going to be trusted with what the Bible says as the oracles of God, the word of God. God spoke through the prophets of these Israelites to give his word, his revealed word. It came through this one family. That's pretty astonishing to me this family would be the mouthpiece for God the prophets would come out of Israel the word of God would come out of Israel hey the Messiah was going to come out of this family and this is listen you, you talk about some serious family pride right you might have the last name of Bezos or Musk or Gates or Trump or whatever name you think is a great name to have and you could probably prance around pretty happy couldn't you well I am a whatever Remember what those Pharisees told Jesus in John chapter 8? We be Abraham's seed. Abraham is our father. We're not born of fornication, right? Abraham is our father. What a dig, huh? Yeah. I love it. Jesus said, well, if Abraham were your father, you would have rejoiced to see my day because he rejoiced to see my day, but you're a liar. 
<laughs> and of course, it went off the rails from there and is wonderful. Right? But they had some serious family pride. I mean, they had some serious lineage there. And, uh, but the, and the, the Messiah was coming out of this line. But, what, but we know what happened. They rejected him. Right? He came into his own, but his own received him not. So that as, as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. They rejected the Lord Jesus Christ. They rejected their Messiah. And God had a plan. It was a plan that Paul says here in our text in uh, chapter 3 was a mystery. A mystery that is not something that is not knowable. A mystery was something that was unknown at the time and was made known later. This was the church. It was a mystery. Can I tell you something? We've seen this over the last few weeks. The church was not an afterthought. God didn't say, oh, I thought they were going to receive him. Good night alive. Now what are we going to do? How about a church? Let's try this out. Let's try a church, right? I'm so glad God doesn't work like us. Amen. Hey, it was, this was not an afterthought. The church was in the plan of God. Yeah. It was going to replace a vehicle. Israel was that original vehicle that decided to do their own thing and drive their own car and do something else. Watch what God has done. We know this. We've, when we went through Romans, God has put that vehicle in a garage. He's going to deal with it later. It's going to get worked on later. And it'll get right later. But he's put it in the garage. He's brought another vehicle out. It's called the church. It's a, and it is a vehicle for the gospel of the world. Jesus commanded his church there at the very end. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Right? This is the vehicle for the gospel today. Israel said no. And, and God said, well, fine. I'm going to go start my own. And Jesus came and he started his, his church. It replaces what Israel doing is we're not talking replacement theology, right? The church is not Israel. Israel and the church are two different things. But Israel has been put on the shelf and the church is going to take up the mission that Israel rejected. It began with one man, Jesus Christ. One man. Yeah. He had to leave earth. I'm sorry, he had to leave heaven. Yeah. Come to earth. He put on human flesh. He, 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 he uh, came here and he died and he rose again we just celebrated the resurrection of the lord jesus christ he transfigured here that we just saw in matthew and he went back to heaven eventually and the angels stood there and said why stand you gazing into the skies all right you men of galilee the same jesus right he's going to come in like manner he's coming back amen boy look like it's close isn't it I'm looking forward to that. Amen. He is coming. He is absolutely coming. But when he left, watch, he was doing a pretty good work here. Amen. Church, pretty incredible. Pretty incredible thing. And he left, watch, physically. That the body of Jesus is not here right now. He's in heaven. But he left his body here. It's church. We see that in the end of chapter 3. Look, look what it says right here. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly all that we ask or think according to the power of the work within us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages world without end. Look at the end of chapter 2 as well. In whom ye are also built together for an habitation of God uh, through the Spirit. And I lost it. 
uh, where he talks about his body. Colossians 1.18, for he's the head of the body. The church, there you go. Hello. That one, I'm glad that came to my mind because I lost the other ones. His body, the church. What is the church? It's the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Visible, visible, local. No such thing as a universal church, is there? It's not taught in the Bible anywhere of a universal and visible church. Watch, all who are born again can be a part of this body. Actually, all who are born again should be a part of one of Jesus' churches. So you see in Ephesians 3, look at 4 and 6, whereby you, when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, the church of Jesus Christ, the church. The Jews were of Abraham's body, and the Gentiles are of the body of Gentiles. But all who are part of the church, Jew or Gentile, are a part of the body of Christ. This is the marvel of the church. The marvel of the church. Because of Christ, Jew and Gentiles are members of the same body. That's a marvel of the church. Because of Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles are employed in the same work. We don't have two different jobs going on here. It's the same work. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jew and Gentile have the same future. We have a home in heaven. We have eternity. Because of the Lord Jesus Christ, Jews and Gentiles are a part of the same family. It's a marvelous salvation. It's a marvelous church. But would you notice something in verse 8? I want you to notice the marvel of Christ's riches. Seven times in, Ephesus, in the letter here to Ephesus in Ephesians, Paul uses the word riches. Riches. The word riches, is, of course, we mean, you know what that means? Zach, you know what it means? Riches. You knew that. Riches. Yeah. Wealth. But not just riches and wealth like we think of it. Riches also just mean good. Good. That which one is enriched by. Some people get enriched by a book. Many of us get enriched by the Bible, right? Yeah, there's all sorts of things. Some people like to get enriched with money. That's pretty... Not many people argue with that one if they get enriched by money. Riches. Seven times Paul uses this word riches in the book of Ephesians. But notice the modifier here in verse 8 before the word riches here. Unto me who am less than the least of all saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles. Watch. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable riches. Unsearchable, that which cannot be searched out, that which cannot be comprehended, like our universe, like the subject of dark matter, like things like that. The riches of Christ are unsearchable. You'll never get to the end of it. You'll never come to the end. Yeah. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Watch this. Paul is baffled. He's baffled that 
who he is as a persecutor of the church and, and originally a rejecter of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is baffled that he gets to be the one to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. Have you ever looked at your life? Have you ever looked where God brought you from? Have you ever looked where God saved you and you're just baffled at where you are today? You just marvel that God would even choose you, that God would even respond to you, would even, would even draw you, would even have any uh, love for you whatsoever? Right? I think of that hymn, How Can It Be That God Should Love a Soul Like Me? Oh, how can it be? Wow, it's unbelievable. Paul says, I, I, I am just I'm shocked here unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Salvation is incredible. The church is marvelous. But there's more. There's more of Christ more which is unsearchable. You know, I began thinking about the unsearchable riches of Christ. I began thinking about all of the things that would classify, that we could, we, could, uh, we could put under the heading of unsearchable riches, okay? You could draw it on the top of the paper, unsearchable riches. And then you could begin to list all of the things that you think are the riches in Christ Jesus. Unsearchable riches. You know, when I began to think about those things, I couldn't help but go to Calvary and think of the unsearchable riches of Christ. That God, and we, will, we can have no ability to understand the glory and the magnitude and the brightness and the power of our God. When John saw him in Revelation, it said he fell on his face as, as if he were dead. And the angel had to pick him up again when he saw, he saw the Lord Jesus Christ in all of his glory. And he thought, whoa, and poof, down he went. It always amazes me, all these worship, worship events in churches, and they're all looking up. I'll tell you, when you really see a glimpse of God, you go down. Remember what Isaiah said in chapter 6 of Isaiah. He said, Woe is me. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And he went on to say, Woe is me, for I am undone, and I am a man of unclean lips. When he finally saw God, he couldn't do anything but fall down. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I think of Calvary. That this God, this, the second person of the Godhead, would put on human flesh, would be born of his own creation and put on human flesh and come down and live among men and live a perfect life and live as he was supposed to, fulfilling all of the law and fulfilling it all perfectly and come into that dreadful day at Calvary. How unsearchable is that? that God would do something like this, that the God of heaven, that the God of heaven would stand there in front of Pilate, yeah. that governor that was, that was put there by the Roman government over those areas of Judea as he sat there and stood there with all of his authority, with all of his power, with all of his might, with all of the, everything that he thought he had. And Jesus didn't even answer him a word. And Pilate says, do you not know that I have the power to, 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 let the, to release thee and the power, the, the power to, you know, to, to crucify thee? Jesus looked at him and says, thou hast no power at all against me. He said, I lay down my life and I take it up again. Wow. Pilate turned around and walked away, went back into the room and came back out again. He said, I don't find any fault in this man. 
His wife came out and said, don't have anything to do with this man. I've suffered a dream of him. Leave him alone. And Pilate washed his hands and said, he said, crucify him, but I find no fault in him. Right? What did Israel say? Let his blood be upon us and be upon our children. And boy, has it not been? Have they not gotten what they asked for on that day? Oh. We have no king but Caesar. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I think of that day at Calvary. When here the spotless Lamb of God, holy, undefiled, was led up that hillside, was scourged, was beaten, blood pouring out of his body, organs visible, couldn't even carry it up by himself, had to have help. And there he is, hung between a couple rotten thieves, like he had done something wrong. And to beat all, at the end of it all, what does he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, well, I think of Calvary. How can you not visit what happened at Calvary? The blood that was shed. Jesus said, I, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. That word lifted up means speaking of being lifted up in crucifixion. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, you can study Calvary. You can study everything that happened there. You can study all of the events of Calvary. And you'll never come to the end of, of discovering the, the, the marvelous grandeur of God. In redemption there at Calvary. When I think of, of the unsearchable riches of Christ, not only do I think of Calvary, but I think of the forgiveness of sin that he would say as far as the east is to the west, so has my sins been cast away. As far as in, uh, they've been cast into the depths of the sea, the Bible says, God said your sin and iniquity I will remember no more. My goodness, when I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I think of the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That, that your sins are gone that, that, listen, that, that, are, are you good with that? Or is that? That's a good place to say amen. Unless your sins aren't forgiven, you can still say, oh me, and you should because they need to be forgiven. But I tell you what, you think about God enough, you think about the unsearchable riches of Christ long enough, you cannot get past thinking that your dirty, nasty, rotten sin, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, everything you've ever been capable of was put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were, the moment you put your faith and trust in him, he said, I'll remember him no more. Wow. And you know what you found out when you got saved? Guilt was gone. <laughs> what a joy that not only is sin forgiven, but yeah, guilt is taken away. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, Salvation is marvelous. The church is marvelous. But the unsearchable riches of Christ and the forgiveness of sin. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I think that we have peace with God. No, you were, we were at enmity with God. We were born to the dead spirit. We were born at odds with God. We were born sinners by nature, sinners by choice. We are in trouble with God. And I'll tell you what, if it isn't settled before you leave this life, you are going to spend the rest of your eternal existence in trouble with God and separate from God. And the wrath of God that fell on the Lord Jesus Christ, right, that you rejected, will fall on you for the rest of eternity. 
When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I think of peace with God. All is, all is, all is well in my Father's house. All is well. Peace with God, the peace from God. Right? The Bible says we have a peace that passeth all understanding. We, we, we think about it, but we will never plumb to the depths of what it means to have the peace from God. We will never plumb to the depths of what it means to have the peace of God. Jesus says, my peace I leave unto you. Oh, there's all sorts of pieces that the, not Chuck peace, but the other pieces that the Lord gives us, amen, that, or I'm sorry, that the world has. They, they look for peace in a bottle. They look for peace in drugs. They look for peace in entertainment. They look for peace in relationships. They're looking for peace all over the place. But until they have the peace that only Jesus gives, they'll never know peace. And Jesus said, it's my peace. Can I tell you something about that peace? It's unsearchable. I classify that as the unsearchable riches of Christ. You know what you have if you're in Christ this morning? Peace. Peace with God, peace from God, peace of God. Amen? I'm going to pull out the amen card here again. I've got to find it. Y'all are sleeping on me. When I look at the unsearchable riches of Christ, I can't help but dwell and ponder on the fact that we're a child of God. The Creator God is our Heavenly Father. We have been adopted. You know who brought us into the family? Who went around and did all the legal work so we could be adopted? Jesus. He's our elder brother. God is our Father. The Holy Spirit of God indwells us at the time of salvation, unsearchable riches of Christ. We could spend the rest of our eternal existence pondering that we are a child of the King. Wow. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I think of eternal life. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them. He said, Jesus says, and I give unto them eternal life. He said, neither shall they, no man will pluck them out of my hand. Neither shall, he goes on to another place, says, neither shall they perish. No man can pluck them out of my hand. He said, uh, they are in my hand. He said, I'm in the Father's hand and no man can pluck them out of me out of the Father's hand. There's, listen, you're not getting out of this. Eternal life, what is that? It is not life without end. It is life outside of time. Eternality is outside of time. It is no beginning. It is no end. The moment you come to Christ, you have the very same life that Jesus has. You know what that is? Unsearchable. Unsearchable riches. We're going to live forever. Wait, wait. With the life of Jesus. No, some are going to live forever in death, but we're going to live forever in life. Yeah. It's unsearchable, friend. You can't come to the end of it. You could go lay your head on the pillow tonight and just, and just begin to let your mind run crazy of what it is to have eternal life that I'm going to live forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Then you'll get creeped out and you'll stop thinking about it because you just can't fathom it. It's just crazy. But we shall never die. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul says, I got to preach this. I can't believe I get to preach this. The unsearchable riches of Christ. But there's something else. I don't, know if we can, I don't know if we can really number these. But I know this. This last one here. It's so special. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ. I think of family. Family. God is our Father. 
Every one of, listen, everyone who is in Christ, right? There are brothers and sisters. Man, we have a big family. <laughs> we have family we haven't even met yet. How many went to, how many have ever gone to family reunion? They go, where'd you come from? We had some show up. I didn't know I had, a, had an uncle who married a Hawaiian and uh, all of us white Anglo-Saxon Germans and here come these Hawaiians and I'm like, Eccles, that doesn't fit Hawaiian. <laughs> Where'd they come from, right? <laughs> Wait, they're a family. Can I tell you? I was going into a church in California one time. One of the most beautiful, th- one of the most beautiful sights I ever saw was watching Filipinos and Indians and white and black all going into the front of this church, going into the same place. I thought, oh, what a family. It's unsearchable. The riches of Christ that we have a family. Look what he says here in verse 8. Actually, let's move on. I don't want to read all the way. I do. Yeah, we're going to. We've got plenty of time. Unto me who am less than the least of all the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. What is the fellowship of the mystery? Jews and Gentiles of the same same church, right? Which from the beginning of the world hath been hidden God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. We looked at that a while back, how the angels look in on the church and see the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you which is your glory for this cause why look at this for this cause I bow my knees unto the father of our Lord Jesus Christ here it is verse 15 of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named You're part of a family. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I think of a family. It's right here. I don't, I'm not making it up. This isn't wishful thinking. It just is. We're part of a family. Look at what he says. In heaven. Of the whole family. In heaven. And earth. Just the other day, I was thinking the other day, uh, I, wonder, I wonder what it's going to be like. I, I'm... I'm Sure, looking forward to seeing Jesus first of all, right? But I don't wonder who's going to greet me first. Grandparents. I have grandparents in heaven. I have some great grandparents in heaven. I have some aunts and uncles that are already there. Cousins. It's like, I wonder who I'll see first. I wonder if they'll go, oh, What? How'd you get here? I'll go, oh, Same way you did. Paul says we have family. We have family in heaven. I, I, I think about that. But wait a minute. It, it's, it's, it's not just that family that's in heaven. It's church family that's in heaven. No, it's just not your immediate family. If We're talking about those who are in Christ Jesus. We're talking about those that have been born again, who are part of the family of God, who came in by adoption through Jesus Christ like everybody else. And I begin to think and to ponder about all of those, great, those wonderful saints that we have loved that are on in heaven right now. I was thinking of Mrs. Parsons. <laughs> yeah. 
Your cousin Tom? Yeah. I get a Tom. Mrs. Powell. Yeah. She said a beautiful wedding yesterday, and I was thinking of Ray Forrester. His granddaughter got married yesterday. Yeah. We'll see him. His family. He's family. They're, these people are their family. They're family. Yeah. Thank you, Brother Bill Good. I love Brother Good. So sad when he passed away. He was such a he was such a help. I think his sister Cummings. I think Brother Cummings. No, the whole family. This is our, we, we know our family here, right? But we have family in heaven. That are, they're just waiting. I mean, they're just, we're going to be together soon. Family. I think of Sister Nona. <laughs> yeah. I think of all of these. Marlene. Thinking of Sister Marlene. We got fa- friends, we got family in heaven today. You realize that? We have family in Christ. They're in heaven right now. Pretty soon we'll see them again. Sister Edith. Brother Klein. I still believe everybody in heaven is going to be me and Russell's height. (laughs) How unsearchable are the riches of Christ that we would have a family family. See, some of you all don't have much of a family, do you? Some of you didn't have a heritage. Some of you didn't have generations of of a godly heritage that you came out of. But the moment you came into Christ, the unsearchable riches, boom, you got the biggest family that anybody's ever had. (laughs) They're in heaven, Paul says. Not only that, look at this, but they are on earth. How unsearchable are the riches of this family that we are in Christ, not only on heaven, but on earth. Look, see, I, I, was, I was getting ready to go to that wedding yesterday, and I began to go through my mind, actually, who all was going to be there. I mean, we, we don't belong to that church anymore because you're stuck with me down here, you know. They were able to get rid of me, but now you're stuck with me. But I got thinking about all of our friends that were going to be there. I thought of all of the other families that are going to be there. And I thought of the, you know, the Foresters and I thought of the O'Neills and I thought of old church members and, and brother Kurtman was there. Of course, his granddaughter, grandson was getting married and I saw brother Kurtman and I got, I, I began to get excited thinking, Oh wow, we're going to get to see all of the, uh, this is great. I can't wait to get to the wedding. This is wonderful. Yeah. And I stopped and thought, why well, isn't that neat? Why does this make me so happy? Why was there joy there? It wasn't just the wedding. The wedding was beautiful. God was glorified. It was a wonderful, glorious wedding. But there was something else there that I was looking forward to. And it was family. Family in Christ. Yeah. You know what I call that? The unsearchable riches of Christ. What was there? A common bond. What do you mean? The redeeming work of Christ. The unsearchable riches of a family. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I think of this family in heaven and on earth. I think I've told you this before, but Brother Abel's got a letter, a note from Brother Art Wilson. And he said, I was trying to remember how we met. This is all it said. 
I was trying to remember how we met. Then I remembered it was the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> That's how we all met, friend. The unsearchable riches of Christ were family. One family. Some in heaven, some on earth, one day together forever. You know, if you're in Christ this morning, can I give you one word? Rich. Rich. Yeah. Let me give you a modifier to that one word. Unsearchable. Unsearchable. Let me, oh, I probably should say it this way. Unsearchably, if that's a word. Rich. We have a family. Thy father and thy mother forsake thee, the psalmist said. The Lord will take thee up. And that a praise the Lord. Can I tell you today, I'm so thankful for the family of God. When I think of the unsearchable riches of Christ, I can't help but think of His family. And we're part of it. We're part of it. You know, the world wants to belong. The world wants acceptance. The world wants to be loved. And when you come to Christ, not only are your sins forgiven, but you're made a part of the family of God. And for as long, I hope we're listening, for as long as we explore the riches of this thing called family, we'll never come to the end of it. It's inexplicable. It's unsearchable. Are you a part of the family of God this morning? Are you a part of the family of God? Hey, family member, let me ask you this. Are you involved with the family? You know, there's some families, you know, that you have one sibling. That one. Right. They never show up at family events. They never get together. If they do, they drag in, they get a plate, and they leave in about five minutes. They just like, they don't even like their family. Yeah. And if there wasn't that DNA test, you'd probably question it. Right. No, I'm not saying. Are you involved with your family? Do you, do, you feel, do you feel comfortable with your family? Or are you f- more comfortable with the world? This is an incredible thing. We have a family. Yeah. Or are you a loner? Ah. Can I say this? If the family of God irritates you, there's a pretty big chance you're not a part of it. Yeah. You know, people can irritate you in, in the family of God like siblings do, and you can still love them and want to be with them. Sometimes it's a distance, I get it. <laughs> yeah. But in your heart of hearts, you wish there wasn't anything wrong because they're family. Don't minimize the family of God. Are you thankful for that today? It's unbelievable when you really think about it. May God help us.
to meditate on all that he's given us in Christ Jesus. All of the things that we would count as unsearchable riches. And as he says here, that family, that family. If you're not a part of the family of God today, you can be. You can put your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. Not only will your sins be forgiven, not only will you be made right with God, not only will your spirit be made alive, but you'll immediately be a part of the family of God. And I'm telling you, there's nothing like it. Father, I don't know how to thank you for a family. So many in your family didn't have much of an earthly family. And it means something to them. It's wonderful. We, we look at this thing called family and we think, that's just, if I spent much time, more time thinking about it, I could only come away and say unsearchable. We are rich, rich in Christ. Lord, not only did we thank you for the access that we have to you because of Jesus Christ, but because of Jesus Christ, we thank you that we're a part of a family, a family that we shall always be a part of. One day we'll all be together. We thank you for that. Father, if there's somebody here today that isn't a part of this family, we pray today your Holy Spirit right now would begin to draw and convict. Lord, that today they'd put their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, that today they would be a part of the family of God. Father, those of us who are part of the family, help us not to minimize it. Lord, help us not to think it's just no big deal and, and just to, eh, whatever. Would you help us to understand how big this thing really is? That we'd live a life of gratitude and thankfulness that you would even do something like this. We thank you. Lord, do your work today. We pray your Holy Spirit do the work in the hearts of your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me if you would briefly. Piano is going to play. I don't know how the Lord has spoken to you this morning. Are you part of the family of God? Maybe you need to spend some time at your chair this morning just thanking the Lord for the unsearchable riches of Christ and the, the, just the incredible thought and the reality, not just the thought, but the reality that we are a part of the family of God. Oh, some are in heaven right now. Some are in earth. Yeah, we're all going to be together one of these days. And it's only because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could you imagine a perfect family reunion without sin for the rest of eternity? Can I tell you today, Christian, the Father still has many more that He wants in the family. The Father still has many more that He wants Jesus to adopt and bring in, per se. And He's given us that responsibility to go in all the world and preach the gospel.
Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer this morning. So good to see everybody out and uh, greet our guests that are with us today. So thankful for you being here. God bless you for being here. And uh, we'll be back tonight, 6 o'clock. Lord willing, back in the book of Matthew here tonight. And uh, I'll make up for the longer service to this morning. And uh, we'll have a really short one tonight. It won't happen. Amen. Oh, no. <laughs> I baited you on that one. <laughs> Amen. So, so thankful for the family of God. Let's be dismissed in a word of prayer this morning, and uh, we'll go on our way. Brother Earl, would you close us in prayer, please?